The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. If you would turn with me to uh, John 3, actually, right at the end of chapter 3. What this message is about is, in, in this part of the book of John, is um, whose testimony should we believe? Should we believe the testimony of somebody who has seen it? If you look for an eyewitness of something, you want to see someone who has actually witnessed the event and could tell you exactly what took place and what happened. And so this is why the question is raised. Whose testimony will we believe about Jesus Christ? First, listen to this. This is one from heaven. It says, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, yet no one accepts his testimony. Now, the reason he's saying no one accepts his testimony, this was the most common response by the Pharisees, the Jews, to Jesus and his teaching. And as he told them about what was really taking place in the heavenly realm, they didn't want to believe him because they could not believe that he had come from heaven. That that was exactly what uh, we're told. For example, in Matthew, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And you remember Peter was the one who spoke for them, and he said, some think you're Isaiah, and some think you're Jeremiah, and others think, think that you're another prophet. And then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And uh, that would be a good question if he asked us, wouldn't it? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed it to you, and you have spoken clearly. Whose testimony should we believe? If you remember in the book of Isaiah 53, chapter 53, probably the best-known chapter in that book, he begins the book this way, he says, or he begins that chapter this way, who has believed our report, that is, our testimony, and who has experienced the arm of the Lord, who has experienced God extending his arm. What we discover from other passages is that the arm of the Lord is a picture of Jesus Christ, his bare arm. He has bared his arm in order to accomplish his purpose because Jesus came to do something. We're told, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he rose again according to the scriptures, and he was seen and accepted by over 500 brethren at one time. This is one of the things about the church of Jesus Christ, that we were designed so that the church itself would experience growth in this way, and people accepting the truth about who Jesus Christ is, that he is the eternal Son of God who came into the world to set us free from the bondage that we had created for ourselves in the face of God, and that we are to believe in him, rest upon him. In fact, the important thing about a local church is not how many people you get in the building. It's not how many people you get you get to hear about Christ. It's how many believe on Jesus Christ. How many of them embrace him and put their faith in him? And this is exactly uh, what we are supposed to be taking care of. This is what we are to do as a local church. We are to testify concerning Christ in a way that is absolutely clear and exactly what he said. Now, the testimony of Jesus is interesting because uh, that expression, because Jesus did um, testify concerning himself. And when you received his testimony, you were receiving him because he tells us who he is and what he has done and that the Father has sent him into the world so that he might pay for our sins and set us free. This idea of a testimony 
is uh, that we are going to believe is is Jesus Christ himself. We trust him. It is the testimony of the Father. This is exactly what we have, are called on to believe is, what does the Father say about him? Now, Jesus spent eternity in the presence of the Father in heaven, and when he came to earth, the Father shared his testimony about his Son, and his Son shared his testimony about his Father and himself and why he had been sent. Because the Father is the one who sent him, and so why did he come into the earth? And, uh, of course, when Jesus admitted the fact that he was from heaven, for example, in Matthew 16, I think it is, where he says uh, he had come down from heaven. That's, that's a strange thing to say, isn't it? He, uh, he doesn't just claim. He said this to Pilate when Pilate says, so you're a king, huh? Because he listened to his testimony. He says, so you're a king. He says, that's why I was born, and that's why I came into the world. That's, that's exactly why the Father sent me into the world, because I'm a king. This was a real affront to Pilate and a kind of proof to him that he had some kind of mental disorder. <laughs> and so, but he kept proclaiming this truth that he was a king and that he came into the world in order to lead a people to set them free from what has alienated them from the living God. And so that's what this passage is all about. Who should we believe? Well, we should believe the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the one who knows the truth about himself and knows the truth about his work and knows the truth about how it's going to affect us and what we have to do in order to respond to it. Uh, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Colossians, and he said uh, he had heard about how God had moved in that church and had raised up so many people to be a part of their leadership. And so he wrote to them, he says, ever since I first heard about this, I have been praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that for this purpose, so that you could walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, that tells you something. He's saying, first of all, you need to know the truth. But second of all, you need to respond to that truth. And that's what the response was. It was to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. And so Paul is telling them, and he says, and he goes on to say that this is exactly what I want to see in your lives. I want to see you come to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That little expression is very unique, but it has to do with people being exposed to the Word of God. Now, these people were being exposed to the Word that had just been completed, the New Testament. All the Jews had lived their whole lives being exposed to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. But now a new new revelation has come, and we have it in the New Testament. And the New Testament is a testimony concerning Jesus Christ. It's the full testimony concerning Christ. And so the one that we should believe is the one whose heart is revealed in that passage of Scripture. I think most of you have a New Testament in your Bible because you have an Old Testament and a New Testament, right? And that New Testament is the testimony concerning Jesus Christ. And so when Isaiah asked this question, who has believed our report, our testimony, and to whom has the Lord been revealed? He's talking about the fact, how many of you have received the testimony concerning the Son and thus have come to experience freedom. You've actually experienced this being set free. Remember Nicodemus when he wandered in the dark one night and uh, came to Jesus and wanted to talk to him? Now, the, the problem was this. He didn't want the others in leadership to know that he was talking to Jesus. But what he says to Jesus, we know you must be from God because no one could do these works unless he was from God. Jesus says something to him that sounds almost like he's not really being nice to him. He says, the thing is, is that unless you're born again, you can't see or understand the kingdom of God. It's not possible because the Holy Spirit, which every believer has, we are told, 
Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10, that every single believer has the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who communicates to us the truth of Jesus Christ. It's how we come to know the truth of who Christ is and what he has done. The reason that we typically come to see the truth that we need to put our trust in Christ, we need to to bow the knee and obey his commands and follow him, is because we get exposed to that truth by in the local church, by other believers, as they talk about the things of God. And it's one of the things that we need to understand, that we need to talk to people about Christ. And that's why we exist. That's why we're a part of a local church, is so that we can talk to people about the truth of who Christ is, and what it is he has done, and why you can trust him. Why can you trust Christ above all things? Well, the Word of God tells us why. And here in John, which is part of the New Testament, we are told, and Jesus says that he, is, he has come down from heaven. Not simply that he was born. He was born, and they know about his birth. But he came down from heaven because he has existed from all eternity. And so both those things are true. He was born and he came. And so he testifies to what he has seen and heard. This is why the, the testimony of Jesus about his, about his life, his, his being sent into the world and so forth, is so clear because it is his story. He lived it, and he can tell it. He can communicate it. And so he says, if you believe on him, you will be saved. You remember Paul and Silas being in jail in Philippi, the Philippian jailer. That's a familiar expression, the Philippian jailer. He's a man who was watching the jail. Now, you had to understand in that day, when a person was responsible for a jailhouse, which would be right next to his house, he would be killed He would have to suffer capital punishment if he let those prisoners go. So it was a great motivation to be very careful about them. Well, what had happened was, in the middle of the night, there was an earthquake. And he looked out the window and he saw these prisoners set free. All the things holding them there were gone. They had been destroyed by this earthquake. And he was very afraid. And so he looks out and he opens the door. And so Paul says to him, Paul and Silas say to him, don't worry, we're all here. We're right here with you. And so the man comes out, and they talk a little bit. He asks this question, what must I do to be saved? And what did they say to him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. That's the question, and that's the answer. And this is the answer of Jesus Christ, and this is the answer they heard from Christ. If they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they would be saved. Jesus is testifying to what he knows to be true. He's testifying. He's an eyewitness. And all of the apostles are eyewitnesses, too, because they saw Christ, they saw him in his life, and then they saw him crucified, and they saw him raised from the dead. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15, you have these events that took place. He died according to the scriptures. It was prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures. If you don't believe it's in the scriptures, all you got to do is read Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 says in great detail how Jesus died and why he died. I once heard a Jewish person say that they were reading their Bible their Jewish Bible, and here they come on Isaiah 53, and he said, I I got to thinking, why is this all about Jesus in our Bible? Well, because that's exactly the story of Jesus Christ. And it was because of his coming into the world and, and being our Savior, becoming our Savior by paying the penalty for our sins. And now we can believe his report. We can believe what he says about himself. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. That's really different, isn't it? It's different listening to someone who has seen and heard something and someone who knows something because they've been told a hundred times by someone else. So someone has actually experienced it. They know what's going to happen. 
My son was uh, trained by Miss Peterson to, to how to do carpentry work. And I'm so grateful because he actually does work around our place that I couldn't do. There's no way I could even know how to do it. He was being trained by a person who knew it, who had started in this trade when he wasn't even 20 years old. And so he learned it, and now he's able to do it. Well, this is what Jesus did. He discipled his disciples. And a discipleship means that he, did, he was a mentor to them. He told them to follow him. Remember that? Follow me and take every step that I take. And that's what they did. And they became disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus said to John, flesh and blood cannot understand this, but I tell you this because I've experienced it. He was in heaven with the Father. He was with the Father from all eternity. And he revealed what he knew in his testimony about himself. This was the one who was sent by God. Now, that wasn't very late news. That was news that had been around for a long, long time because God had communicated that truth many, many different ways that he was going to send his son into the world. And we are called upon to trust his son. By the way, this is the thing that God counts to be the most important thing about you is your ability to trust God, to put your trust in him, to rely upon him. And so he does all kinds of things in your life in order to grow your faith to cause you to come to have a deeper, stronger faith and trust in him. That's the most important thing about our relationship, is this our trust in him. And we can rely upon him. We can trust in him. He's trustworthy. And uh, what we want to see in as a local church, we want to see people hearing the testimony of believers about Christ being, and hearing the testimony of Christ so that they come to rest their faith and trust in him. Not just show up not just to be hearers. That's what happened in the church growth movement. There were large churches that that grew up, but what was happening was almost everybody were hearers. Yeah, they knew what the message was. It's just that that most of them had not made a commitment to trust in him, to actually rely upon him. And that's what God's calling us to do and calling us to convince others to do, is to trust him, to rest completely upon him. And he says that he was, that the Father had revealed Everything that he tells them, and he, remember in Matthew 16 when Jesus said to his disciples, who do people say that I am? I already told you this. And he's, they gave him various answers. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, uh, what John MacArthur calls Peter, the foot-shaped mouth disciple, <laughs> because he, is, he put his foot in his mouth so many times where he would declare things to be true, and then he would do just the opposite. Like he would never desert Jesus, and yet he deserted him before the cock crowed three times on the day that he was crucified. And so this is why we are called to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we can trust his testimony. It's because of who he is. First of all, he came from above. He wasn't just born, he came. That's what he told Pilate. And this is why Pilate was stunned by that. He said, so you're a king? And he said, yes, that's why I was born and that's why I came into the world, to, to show the light. That's why God the Father sent me into the world, was for that very purpose. And so here we have Pilate, the the king, the ruler, who was no doubt had a big ego, and he's being told by a man that he wasn't even born. born. He came into the world. He was born, of course, too, but he came into the world. He preexisted from all eternity, and he came into the world in order to draw men to himself. Uh, He's the one who is above all. that, That expression means he's esteemed by God. That is, God esteems him above all others. He sees his son as the most important person in all the world. And that's the one he gave for us. 
you all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, only begotten, monogenes, it means one of a kind. In other words, he was, he was a unique son. He'd been his son from all eternity. He was unique son because he himself is God, just as the father is God. And because he has deity, he has, last, he has lived forever. And he has been with the father. And the Father, because of his love for us, sent his Son into the world to deliver us from our own bondage that we have created for ourselves. And that's, that's real love. And when he says, for God so loved the world, in the Gospel of John, the word world is used to express the fact that this world is huge, isn't it? It's very large. There's, there's all kinds of people, all kinds of things in this world. But it says that God so loved the world. Well, this world was at war with God. Right? If you read the Gospel of John, you see it very clearly. The world was at war with God, and yet God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He loved them because he wanted to see them set free. He wanted to set them free because of his love for them. And this is why we're told in Scripture that God does love sinners. That's, that's something that uh, is hard for us to swallow, but when you stop and think about yourself, there's a little song that I heard this week. I'd never heard it before. It's called... Uh, I don't know why Jesus loved me, but I'm glad he did. <laughs> get, get that, that he loves you and that he came to die for you. And then he tells his disciples, I have one last commandment to give you. And that commandment is this, that you love one another the way I have loved you. That's stunning because we know the way he loved us. We are given accounts of it, that he laid down his life for us. He was willing to die in our place and to suffer horrible suffering in order to pay for our sin and to be separated from them for a short time. And when he came back and Jesus walked with his disciples down the Emmaus Road, he explained to them exactly why what they thought was a failure was actually great victory. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound, we're told. Well, that's, that's Calvary. Because at Calvary, sin abounded. We saw, the, we saw the manifestation of sin in the way they treated Jesus, in the judgment that they poured out upon him and so forth. But at the same time, it was a time of grace because it's when he saved you. His son stood in your place and suffered the penalty for your sins so that you could be set free and you could have a relationship with God. God wanted you that much. Now, when you stop and think about that, that's almost beyond our ability to believe that God wanted me so bad that he was willing to give his son to take my place and to pay my penalty and set me free so that I could be in his kingdom and to be in relationship with him. Um, Jesus uh, is, is the perfect testifier. He's the one who testifies to us in the word of God. We find out who he is and what it is he has done. The very work of Jesus isn't explained best by those that are other than Jesus. They're best explained by Jesus himself. He's the one who projects the testimony of the Father concerning him. This is what my Father says about me. That's what he said. And uh, most of us have, growing up in a family, we heard all kinds of family stories about what we said and what we did when we were little. And uh, most things I said were embarrassing. You know, like, I want to and I don't want to. Not, not that I was conflicted or anything. And um, this is what, what happened. But Jesus Christ, the one that knows him best, is the one who's been with him for all eternity. And so the testimony that's being talked about in Isaiah 53, who has believed our report? That's the testimony of God. The report that the father gave was, my son 
is righteous. He is my righteous son. He's my one-of-a-kind son, and I'm sending him in the world to take your place and to suffer for your sins so that you can be set free and so that you can actually experience a life of fellowship with the living God. That's what he's wanting us to do. And so when Jesus tells him that he's a king, you would think that, that Pilate would be offended, and he was. He was greatly offended. But he came to see this truth on some level, and that's because Jesus Christ gave the evidence of it. He was himself the king. He was the descendant of the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his one-of-a-kind son. The monogenese just means that his son, he has one son and one son only who is monogenese. He has one son who has lived for all eternity with him, has been in his presence for all eternity before he came into this world. And now he tells us how we can live in fellowship with him, how we can live in the presence of God, in our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so this is what he wants us to do. He wants us to come to have that very thing. In Matthew 16, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 17, listen to this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am, the Son of Man? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But you, Jesus said, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter He answered, and he said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. See, that's how you came to believe the truth about Jesus Christ. It wasn't because somebody who didn't know about it told you about it. It's because the God testified through his Son that his love for you is like this. This is how you measure the love of God. You look at Christ and you see what he did for you. This is what he was willing to pay Uh, his own life, the life of his own son, in order to save you and bring you into his presence and for you to live your life as a disciple and as a son of God. You know, the Bible's real clear about this. We're all sons of God. It's called the sonship. Sonship is one of the things that we have been given by the Father. He wants us to be his sons. Now, that's even true. It's said of women as well as men. And the reason is the word son has to do with an heir. What he's talking about is we are all heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And so everything that he has created, he's created it for our blessing. And we're going to experience it throughout all eternity. And so what God wants us to to understand is the, the one that we believe, the testifier about Christ that we believe is Jesus Christ himself. If you want to know who Jesus Christ is, you read what he says about himself in the word of God. He understands who he is. And that's a huge thing, isn't it? For somebody to understand who they are. And Jesus understands who he is. And he wants you to experience the reality of who he is in the way that he lives his life in and through you. And that you experience the glory and the greatness of walking in faith. Now, the reason that the New Testament talks about us walking in the Spirit is because it takes the Holy Spirit to empower us in order for us to walk with Jesus Christ. There's no other way it can happen. But here's what he's done. He has put the Holy Spirit in you that's going to live in you for all eternity. Jesus said at the at the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, it says on the last day, the great day of the feast, everybody, all the ceremonies were over, and Jesus yells from the sidelines, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And that's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit 
is going to reside in every single believer. And not only that, but the blessings of the Holy Spirit, for example, of convincing you who Christ is and why it is that you believe upon him, why you trust in him, why he is the one, the supreme one that you trust above all others. And remember the disciples, they saw things that they couldn't believe. I Something happened to me this morning that it just it totally baffled me, but it made me laugh like crazy because I realized that God knows how to bless us when we aren't even seeing it coming. He has given you eternal life. That's what the Bible says. It says when you trusted Christ, you received eternal life. And what we're told in John 17, what the, the purpose of eternal life, the reason God gave it to you, isn't just that you'll live forever. It's because he wants you to know him. That's why he gave you eternal life, is so that you could know him. The reason you can know him, the reason that anybody who puts their trust in Christ and comes to receive the Holy Spirit through regeneration and the new birth, he will be able to know the living God. That's an amazing thing. And that's why you can tell the difference sometimes if we listen to people pray. Some people act as though they can actually hear God and see God and talk to God. Instead of thinking, well, maybe they're just kind of off-center here. Well, maybe they actually experience something that God wants them to experience. Uh, Mike Kelly, a friend of our, all of ours, he's a pastor over in Livermore. I, I've known him for a long time. He, he went through Grace School of Theology, where I taught. And uh, he was telling me that during that time he was working at, uh, at the airline in San Francisco that has just about gone out of business, it's the United Airlines. He's worked there as a mechanic. And he said, what I would do is every night we could go into the building and sit at somebody's desk and have our lunch. And it was very comfortable. We could recline there and all that. And he says, one night I fell asleep. When I woke up, I felt like I was in the presence of God. And he says, I don't know how to explain this, but I got to tell you, it overwhelmed me to know that God wanted me and knew me and would actually take the time to be in my presence. Now, you may think, well, he's got a wire loose. Well, maybe what he has is his faith in the living God, and he's experiencing the great benefit of that of knowing that God welcomes him into his presence. He wants you to live like that. He wants you to know that you can talk to him at any point. You can come into his presence, and you can bear your heart. We're told that when you see the glory of Christ, you want to worship him, and that being in his presence will fill you with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, is the way that Peter puts it. You'll have joy inexpressible and full of glory because your eyes will be open. This is something that only the Spirit of God can do. Open your eyes to see the glory of this, this Savior of yours. And he wants you to treasure that. And he wants you to experience it. He wants to be the thing that motivates you in your Christian life. And so let's pray. Our Father, we want to take the time just to pray for each other and ask you that you would work in our lives. We thank you so much for the, the gift of salvation and all that it it, it uh contains. We are so grateful for everything that we've received from you, Father. And we pray that you would work in our lives, that you'd give us uh, such a heart for people, that we would begin to love people the way you love people, that we would begin to see people as in need of a Savior that you have given to us, and that any person, any person who hears the message and, and believes and trusts in you will experience the glorious blessings of this salvation that you describe in Ephesians as for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's not a gift. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's not that he just, he doesn't care about good works. 
He has said he wants you to experience what it's like to be to do good works in the power of the Spirit and to know that you can love people and you can love life. And so I just pray, Father, that you would bring each one of us to a place of total and complete submission and satisfaction in you. We pray that we would experience the joy, the wonderful joy, inexpressible and full of glory that you've promised us as we trust you and walk in faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.